0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 6, The One About the Argos Catalogue, Instagram Reels and True Romance. Let's get straight into the show. Welcome everybody to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much.
1: Such a pleasure to spend more time with a friend who is also on the mission to keep marketing simple. You're the voice of the Finance and Marketing Podcast and the host of the Rod's Vlog video
0: series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Fantastic. And it's so good to be here again. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the show, for watching the show. And without further ado, let's go straight into In the News. Welcome to In The News. Let's get straight into the first item. Spotify says listening time for its 1.5 million podcasts more than doubled last quarter. And we've
1: got some numbers from LinkedIn. Online sessions are up 27%, revenue up 10%, but job listings are way down. And LinkedIn will be reducing its workforce by
0: 6%. That's 960 positions, Roger. So Google's CEO Sundar Pachai has announced that all 200,000 employees will be working from home until summer 2021. And if you work for Twitter, you may never go back to the office, ever.
1: Well, after 48 years, Argos will be, will stop printing their catalogues by January 2021, often referred to as the Book of Dreams. It is the end of an era for shoppers and children who will have to find an alternative for their Christmas list.
0: That's a shame, isn't it? Ford is planning to run an eight-part podcast about the history of its Bronco vehicle entitled Bring Back Bronco as production of the SUV is about to start again after a 24-year gap.
1: while Facebook announced that they are rolling out a feature that will allow you to live stream on the platform from messenger rooms. Could this be an entry-level Zoom
0: clone? Interesting. According to the World Economic Forum, the pandemic has caused a significant drop in advertising spending, down 12% in Europe, down 10% in the US and 8% in China across all channels apart from digital.
1: Well, brands, which include American Express and Rightmove, each donated a 30-second advertising slot to a local business. The ads were shared across the Channel 4 network and on social media
0: using the hashtag at back business Fantastic. Some really interesting stuff there today. Some really interesting stuff. And, and again... Because it's a marketing podcast, we're always going to be interested in things like the statistics for advertising spending and and stuff like that. But was there anything else that stood out for you in this particular crop of news items, Pascal? Well,
1: I hope you don't mind, but I think we need to talk about Argos.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I
1: mean what What a decision because that's going to transform completely the customer experience.
0: Um, what did you make of it well it's it's really interesting, but is it actually surprising? I, I'm thinking about yellow pages as well you know it's 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 a, a couple of years maybe a bit longer since we stopped getting that great big yellow pages thudding down onto the doorstep and and, and that was something that we took for granted for decades. Um, but in the online world, do people really need to have the printed Argos catalogue? Now, I'm still old-fashioned enough to enjoy leafing through printed material. You know, I still buy the odd newspaper, I still buy the odd magazine, and and there's just something nice about leafing through a catalogue. But for most people... They just either go online pre-order or they go into the shop. And even in the shop now, they don't even have the laminated versions of the of the of the uh, catalogue. You simply go into the uh, visual display, type in the little number, and there you go. I don't know. There's something. There was always something great about those tiny little pens, wasn't there? And 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 the little piece of paper with the with a, yeah. a number and you just write the number in and hand it in. Now you do it all on the screen. It, it's just progress, isn't it?
1: It is progress. And, and I think, you know, we as um, kind of, um, you know, social creatures will always be very nostalgic and romantic about, you know, how we do things. Uh, and I can imagine that for the regular shoppers uh, you know, and loyal customers of Argos, it's just going to be something that they're going to miss. Uh, I can only imagine that it would save Argos a small fortune, just the sheer volume and the sheer size of this catalogue. I mean, the last time I was involved with print media was back in the days I was working in the travel industry. And actually, as the marketing manager, it was my job to print those brochures. And I can tell you that it was a really costly affair. And back in the days, we had to do two or three editions. So, um, you know, we used to go for first edition, and then by which time the destinations or flight times or prices would settle, you go for a second edition, and then you had the third one with the special offers. So it was really, really quite costly. And then you've got the dispatch cost, and so on and so forth. Um, for me, it's all around how would they manage the communication, mm-hmm. and whether or not you know we're going to see much of it. But I think it would be kind of interesting watching Brief for you and I to see how is Argos going to communicate you know their decision, which is probably a wise business decision. But there's bound to be some some feelings you know from their loyal customers.
0: Yeah, and maybe there'll be a few nostalgia buffs out there who'll keep a copy of the last (laughs) edition of the Argos catalogue and and they'll put it in their cupboard with their last edition of the Yellow Pages and and, and, and I'll have it in my little uh, archive with my Blockbuster uh, membership card as well. All of these things, that it's marking time, it's marking progress, it's, it's, it's part of marketing history.
1: It is. And I can imagine people, you know, keeping maybe 10 copies and then selling them on in 5, 10 years' time as this kind of, uh, you know, memorabilia or kind of antique things. It's almost like um, the um, Back to the Future 2 episode when he finds the uh, annual, you know, with the, the sporting
0: results yes. and so on. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that on eBay in 10 years' time? Argos catalogue, £2,000, bidding starts now. Gosh, could we ever get to that stage? <laughs>
1: And then just to close on the in the news, um, I, I was t- talking to you about this idea of working from home and this idea of advertising spend going down apart mm. from digital because it has been the thing, isn't it, Roger, that advertising spend has been the barometer of the health situation, if you will, of, of sectors and, and businesses. So maybe we'll go for that one. You know, Spending down 12%, you said, in Europe. Ten yep. percent in the U.S., eight percent in China, and I know that these are small values—you know, tens and eights and so on—but it's significant because other, and and what is interesting apart from digital. Mm
0: again i suppose it, in some ways i can understand it As city centers are still relatively deserted despite what we see in the print in the in the um, mainstream media showing packed high streets and packed beaches i think the country is still pretty well locked down or people are still mm. being relatively sensible so it probably doesn't make sense to put traditional billboards up um, even the digital equivalents of of traditional billboards i i, I guess so digital marketing, online marketing, is is bound to be the one that has survived or hasn't fallen during this crisis. But, you know, I always come back to this thing that I always say that it's a typical company decision that when things get tough, marketing is the first budget to get cut. Whereas if you think about it, wouldn't it actually be better for your long-term growth, to actually invest now when everybody else is cutting, you invest in increasing your digital and and other marketing, advertising, and activity. And and maybe that will help your brand to succeed where others might not. Uh, But again, it comes back to a lot of companies still see marketing as a cost and not an investment. Could not agree more, Roger. So we've talked about in the news, I think it's time to move on to the content spotlights. This is the content spotlight section, one of my favourite parts of the show. And I just want to remind everybody who's watching and listening to this that Pascal and I choose an item of content that we've spotted during the week. It could be a podcast, it could be an article in a magazine, it could be an audio, it could be a video. It just could be something that we've seen either from our network or from the world beyond. But we never divulge to each other until this moment in time live on the show as we're recording it what that piece of content is so our reactions to this content is genuine it's the first time that we'll have seen it and we can give our undiluted honest opinion on that piece of content so with that in mind, Pascal, what have you got for me this week?
1: So, this week I've gone back to long-form article or you know, long-form written content. The author is Chris Savage, is mm-hmm. the CEO of Wistia. Now, Wistia will be known to some as the video production and video hosting uh, platform. And they do enormous amount of content out there, but what is nice about them is that content is regular enough to stand out and not too frequent to kind of, you know, almost feel like you should pass because because there'll be another one coming soon. You know, some brands, Roger, if you don't mind, are kind of almost overwhelming the market with content, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is great for them. I mean, clearly they have their content marketing machine kind of uh, sorted out. But sometimes it's just too much for you to be able to consume the content. And with some brands, I find myself to say, well, never mind, I'm a bit busy this week, so I'll wait till the next one, because there'll be a next one with the West here. They've got the frequencies so right that each time it appears in my inbox, I pay attention because I know there'll be a while before another kind of authored piece of content will come through. So this one has a title of why all B2B brands will become media companies in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, I must confess that I was just about to pass on this article thinking, well, yes, tell me something I don't know, Chris. But then I did kind of think, I'm going to ask, that's not the spirit. And more importantly, whilst the statement and the sentiment is kind of new, not new to you, sorry, it would be new to others, and it's always valuable to me to listen or read someone else's perspective. So actually, I kind of corrected myself and then opened the article and read it actually twice because it was very rich in information. But in that article about why all B2B brands will become media companies, Chris makes five key points. I'm going to list them out to you and then I'd love to get your reaction uh, as I'm finished with that. So point number one about why all B2B brands will become media companies and how they can do so, number one, your content should be thought of as a product. And what Chris is arguing is that the level of attention, the level of care, the level of thinking, the level of intent behind your content should be to the level of your own products and services. I think implicitly, he's almost saying, if you could charge for this, what would it look like? And And for me, it's always been something that I'm worried about, which is that you know the idea of marketing and content creation becomes a chore that people want rid of as quickly as possible, as opposed to thinking of product design or service design. So yeah, you know that's number one, which I think you know, you'll, you'll agree. Number two is about finding the right niche now as you know roger i'm not a big fan of the term niche it goes in the same black hole as pivot and doubling down and all that but i think chris makes a very valid point which is be careful not to do something so generic or so general that it will not hit the mark. So find a specific audience with a specific challenge. And indeed, over the course of months and years, you can tackle uh, many audiences with many um, challenges. But for that one bit of content, can you make sure that it finds its audience? Indeed, Chris would argue that the audience will choose you because you are echoing, mirroring their challenge and of course who they are. So specific audience plus Specific challenge is why it's going to be at the heart of the content. Number three, which I think you will probably agree with as well, the audience attention is earned, not paid. And what Chris essentially is essentially saying is that really there's no real shortcuts. I mean, by all means, you can sprinkle a bit of advertising budget to boost the visibility of your content. But I would argue, unless you've done number one and two, you're probably going to waste a lot of money. And it, but it basically, what we're saying is there's no shortcut here, you know. And the way to earn the attention is to make sure that your content goes beyond the kind of expected formulation of, uh, of an argument or a solution, share new ideas, share feelings, which we explored, remember, with the B2B audience, how difficult that can be. And you know that it's working when people will start to share it on. And they won't share it on just because the advice you're given is very practical or sensible. It's because how they felt when they read, or when they watch, or when they listen to the content. So attention is earned, not paid. Number four, which I think suits this video podcast and audio podcast so well, is talking about the promotion of this content. And they said you should mirror the movie release schedule, which I think you know, is great. Uh, interestingly, I think he could have gone much deeper in that, in that segment of his article. But what he's arguing is that you have different audiences with different kind of uh, levels of goodwill and attention. and um, So what he's saying is you know, typically a movie is released on the big screen first then goes into the pay-per-view, then goes probably into uh, DVDs and Blu-ray release and then end up, you know, free on streaming services. So there's almost like a a stage approach, and during which time the um, production company will earn revenue. But we could argue that the big screen is important to them. So what uh, Chris is arguing is that, think of your A-listers who are gonna go to the big screen, then your B-listers who are gonna be happy with the pay-per-view all the way down to your Cs and Ds. And it's not meant to essentially um, belittle some of the audiences, it's just say that you're gonna have some very, very fervent fans all the way down to very casual consumers, and they have to be treated differently. Give your big your biggest fan the biggest experience, and then kind of you know work your way um, towards you know the, the different lists. So I kind of like um, what he explained there, but I, I almost was going to also talk about this idea of the pre. Um, production stage of your content where you can like, you know, you make doing movies, Roger, you could let people know it's coming with a, a teaser poster, with a short trailer, with an announcement or a tweet or so on. But uh, that's what he, he comes The um, final bit of advice which I really liked was this idea of measurement. And what he was saying is that since you're about to become a media company, by using the number one, two, three, and four bit of advice, then start to measure like a media company. And don't be just satisfied with a typical dashboard of stats and percentage and graphs going up and down. Start to look at qualitative and behavior data to understand your audience better. So... Not only did he argue the case of why one would become a media company, but he did actually put some effort into the how one could move from marketing to media.
0: This is absolutely fascinating. And you and I have talked about this so many times in the past over a glass of wine. I was recently talking to the guy who runs one of the businesses that I work with, and that company runs or did run a massive conference in London every July. And, of course, this year, because of coronavirus, the, can- the, the, the conference has been postponed, perhaps indefinitely, and a, a, an online event was put together to replace it. And I was talking to the CEO of the of the company after the online event had gone ahead, and, and the online event was really, really successful. We were very happy with it. He said to me, do you know, for the last 15 years, everybody has seen us as an event company because it was an event in a posh hotel in London. But now, he said, I've just realised we're really a media company. Wow. And, and that really just... just Everything that you've just said encapsulated into that guy's realisation that that's what his business has become. And the other thing that really resonated with me, Pascal, from what you said there is this idea that the the media you put together, the content you put together, you should consider it to be a product. And I think that that's that's so important. And perhaps it's so nuanced that a lot of people will miss it. But if you think about it, the majority of marketing activity – and I probably include content within that. So advertising, promotions, email, whatever it is, content is usually done to support a product, whether that product's a cupcake or a motor car or, or a film. But what you're actually saying is that the content that supports the product is good enough to be a product in its own right. And that is a it's a really subtle, a really subtle shift. But a very important shift, and I just wonder whether a lot of marketers have actually realised exactly what that that really does mean. Turning your content so that it's not just an advertisement supporting an existing product, but a product in its own right. I think that's quite interesting.
1: For me, it's, you know, the more I work with clients, as I've done over the years, the more I work on the mindset, as opposed to just the techniques or the strategies, and, and you're right, and at some time you know, what I think is happening is also what I call false modesty or misplaced modesty, which is this idea of people listen to you know what you and I've just discussed or read the article, but still feel that perhaps they're not good enough to become a media company. And I think we need to work a lot harder on that, because actually it's not true that people will say to you, yeah, I could go ahead with the blogging, as you've described, Roger. I could go ahead with uh, uh, the action plan you put together but I don't actually believe in myself sufficiently as a content creator, so I'm gonna pass or find ways to delay um, you know, the, the creation process. And I think the mindset, you're right, um, is you're gonna create something that people will happily uh, buy from you. Or they would say to you, do you have, a, and they could read like an amazing um, series of blog posts and say, you know, I'd love to buy this you know, in a magazine format. So that's the mindset.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, we one of the things that always comes up on Two Geeks in a marketing podcast is this whole idea that marketing isn't just about communications and, and it includes research and it includes product and pricing and development and all of that sort of thing. And, and I think that this, on the one hand, reinforces that because we're saying product is a thing and your content is good enough to be a product but on the other side we shouldn't get so wrapped up in producing content and becoming a media company that it becomes too tactical in its execution so i still think we need that balance Mm. of strategy and tactics I'm glad I think... you,
1: you like it. Sorry, Roger. I'm I'm really glad you like it. Uh, I thought you might uh, not just the reference to film release and schedule and so on, but the the, the whole uh, kind of uh, intent behind it. So let me ask you, um,
0: what have you got for me this week? Okay, um, this one. On the face of it, might be coming across as a bit of a political discussion. And again, as always on this show, we don't get into political discussions. And the point of bringing up this article isn't to create a political discussion. It's to create a marketing discussion. But it is something that the government is doing. This article appeared in Marketing Week. And the headline was, Government Rolls Out Junk Food Ad Ban. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of talk during the coronavirus lockdown, um, for whatever reason, people haven't been able to get as much exercise. The evidence suggests that people are putting on weight. And at the same time, the science is telling us that if you're overweight, then it's going to be harder to recover if you get coronavirus. So on the one hand, the government is saying we all need to get fitter, we need to lose weight if we're overweight, just in case in future we get the coronavirus and, um, and the body needs to fight it fight it off. So they've come up with this campaign to, to try to avoid advertising junk food on TV until after the watershed, which is 9pm. And as you would expect, this has been met with derision by the advertising industry. And this particular article lays out the the arguments from the government but it also lays out the arguments from the advertising industry and the advertising industry as you would expect aren't very happy about this but i again pascal when i read this the debate that comes into my mind is does this once again fall into that trap that assumes that marketing is always about the communication. Because what the government is saying, the only thing we need to do to fix this is to stop advertising. Now, arguably, you know, the product itself could be the thing that's the problem. A sugar-laced cake or too many carbs in, in a particular recipe, whatever it might be. That's the product. We always said that in in, in the uh, article that you, that you highlighted there before, how important it is that content might become a product. So again, the government focus, because it, it gets headlines, because it's caused controversy, and this article is one of those, is to say, let's ban advertising. But marketing is also about the product. So do we need to go and say, well, actually, we need to stop Putting as much sugar or as much carbs in this particular food? Or is it the price of the product? You know, if you go into a supermarket, you might be able to buy an incredibly sugary, very delicious cake for half the price of a a bag full of apples. Mm. So do we need to mess with the price so that the price of the junk food in inverted commas is more expensive than the healthier alternative so so again i'm not raising this article to have a pop at the government obviously something needs done but it just seems to me that once again we're focusing on the promotional side of things when in fact we should perhaps be focusing on the whole marketing mix
1: Yes. And from I didn't read the article, but I heard, obviously, the, the news item on the radio and, and saw so the, the headlines online. And they didn't come across to me as he was uh, part of a big project. It was just mm-hmm. that one decision and then that was it. Um, mm-hmm. What I couldn't detect as well, Roger, whether the uh, advertising was also including banning it from the internet. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I must say that could be down to the algorithm. I don't see much in terms of junk food advertising on the internet. It seems to be the, limited to TV um, primarily, I, I would argue. Uh, but also for me, it's, my thinking is that is it that simple? I mean, that literally, if you start advertising something, uh, it changes behavior. And you're right; you know, how it needs to be part of a much bigger, uh, more complex um, campaign. And if you think about it. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure whether they are concerned about the younger generation, or mm-hmm. all ages. But we know that the numbers d- do suggest to us, Roger, that you know people uh, in their twenties and thirties don't watch the television. Yeah. You know they consume content via their mobile phones, where they access you know almost on demand. So whether it's a YouTube video, or they go on Spotify, or they go on TikTok or whatever. So I think the advertising. If they, they were hoping to limit uh, exposure for young people, they're missing the point because there's no exposure. Literally, mm. young people don't mm. watch television, if that's mm. at the heart of, the, of this article. So then you're into that that kind of generation. and. I don't want to be uh, come across as unkind to the power advertising, but I'm pretty sure to see the advert of, uh, of a cake doesn't make you want to buy that cake immediately. Uh, and again, you're back to this idea of the reason why somebody's eating food that is too sugary is um, habitual. Yeah. And, and what is yeah. interesting, you know, your point about asking producers to look at the product and reduce the, num- the, the amount of sugar, salt, and so on, how many times have you heard the producers themselves saying, well, I would love to do that, but the point is people love it when there's lots of yes. salt and sugar in it. Yes. And you kind of go, mm, well, yeah, but how did we get to that point, and and, and, and how do you know, and if it wasn't available? Um, so I think it's an interesting one, which is, yeah, government to be seen to be doing something, but is it literally putting a, um, a Band-Aid on, onto a brand? broken leg I'm not, I'm not sure Roger
0: yeah and again maybe that maybe they're thinking look we did it with smoking we yeah. we effectively banned cigarette advertising we 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 papered over the cigarette packets with scary messages and messages about lung cancer and that sort of thing and that worked didn't it well I don't know again I, 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 I think a lot of the the success with smoking was simply from banning it from being in pubs and in, right, in yeah, yeah. places of work and stuff like that. I'm not convinced that it was the advertising that did it. And 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 again, look at what happened after three months of lockdown with McDonald's closed. As soon as <laughs> McDonald's opened, people are queuing five miles down the road to get to get uh, a McDonald's. Now, I've never understood. The uh, appeal of McDonald's, but I know that a lot of people just—it's just a treat for them, isn't it? They mm. they like that that high carb hit and and the and the fat and everything. So it it it, it does take more. It does take more than the advertising. And I think you're right. It's it, it's it's got to be. It's got to start with the customer, and you've got to think about the product and the price and the distribution and and the promotion as well. So let's move on, Pascal. I think it's time for us to talk about marketing tech. In this section of the show, Pascal and I choose a couple of items of marketing tech. So it could be an app, it could be a platform, something, again, that's caught our attention for being probably wonderfully simple, but most importantly, remarkably useful. So Pascal, hit me with your two. So, this week, Roger, I'm going to go for
1: audio recording and audio production. And I've got two okay. very different um, solutions for you. So, you know, my view on imagination being one of the number one ingredient when it comes to a successful marketing campaign, indeed, content marketing campaign, that spark, that's going to help you be different and stand out from the white noise. So, you know, you and I uh, come up with ideas all the time, perhaps too often, but, you know, there we are. <laughs> and and sometimes you want to make sure you capture it, and there's many ways in you can do it, and I've got a solution for you, Roger, which is called a Net Memo Plus Voice Recorder. Bit of a long yeah. title, but Net Memo Plus is usually the, the short version voice recorder. It allows you to record a one minute message, voice message, audio message, that is automatically emailed to yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you could be out and about in your favorite locations, you know, after, after drinking uh, one of your coffees, Roger, and yeah. then you come up with the next idea for Roger's vlog or next idea for an article or for a podcast guest question, that kind of things. And you look around. You don't have a pen. You, you want to write it down. But actually, you want to just say it as it comes to mind. You tap on the app. Everything's set up already during the um, kind of sign-up stage of which email address is going to go to and so on and so forth. You press record. You talk away. You only have 60 seconds, which I think is also helpful to get to the point, and then when you stop recording, it automatically sends you the MP3 file, which you can then listen to it back in the office or save as part of your box of good ideas. So NetMemo Plus Voice Recorder is free. It works across uh, the Android and iPhone systems. I've got it, and I've used it many times. Um, sometimes it's just what you need, as well as uh, the other things that you've got. Now, on the other side of the scale, sometimes you will need to record long form. Indeed, Mm. maybe, this idea of yours, or this um, uh, audio recording interview began with a short message to yourself using NetMemo Plus. But the next thing you'll need then is something that can record long form, and I've got an app, again, free, working across um, both operating systems called Voice Record Pro. Voice Record Pro. And essentially, it's a kind of a mini version of what you would have as a physical kit. So you can put settings, you can choose the the, uh, the qualities of your uh, audio recordings from M- MP3 to WAV and all the others. You can actually see um, a virtual representation of the needle going up and down as the voice is being recorded. You can save it on your um, mobile phone. You can also upload directly on Google Drive and OneDrive and all the others. It also does something a little odd, which is you can create a YouTube video with a, essentially a static image and then the audio recorder kind of playing. Uh, it's not the most elegant solution, but Maybe you want to clear up some memory on your on your phone, and you can do that directly putting it on, onto YouTube, um, as you know, uh, you and I have done some tests before where you can have uh, you as a host and then a guest using some of the tele- mobile phone extensions. you can have two lapel mics plug into the, the mobile recorder, and using Voice Record Pro, you have some really high quality sound. And you can do some very gentle editing. You can trim. You can kind of increase some of the uh, qualities and so on. And again, just share that online. And it gives you essentially that kind of mobile recording studio that if one day – I how many times you and I, you said, you know, we started this uh, this session. We sat down. We, we had a chat. And then we'd stop and we'd go, do you know what? We should (laughs) have recorded this. So, you know, when you're in a position, Roger, to be out on the and meet meet your friends again and and business associates, I think Voice Recall Pro could be a solution to help you capture that audio for some kind of, uh, yeah, fly on the wall, kind of uh, in the
0: moment audio recordings. Sounds really good, sounds really good. I'm going to move on from audio into right. the realm of video, if I may. Um, I'm going to talk about Adobe Premiere Rush today, and I'm going to preface this by saying, as you know, I, I've, I've done quite a lot of vlogging over the last three years, and I, I put together Rog Vlog, that's me out and about, Uh, traveling to conferences, going on trains, exploring cities, um, and sometimes behind the scenes of my business. I also do uh, a series of videos called Marketing Made Simple, which is me just giving people a, a two or three minute marketing tip. And, you know, I can trace back my Current enthusiasm for video to yourself. Uh, you did a speech at a, at a Upreneur event about four years ago, and, and you really did give me that insight into how you can make videos more interesting by editing them. So, either doing jump cuts or, or doing establishing shots, angles, you know, getting out and about, going down to the harbour to do the video rather than sitting here with the, the bookcase behind me. And, and eventually, I, I got more into the editing process of video. And I have been using Adobe Premiere Pro, which is probably the most sophisticated and powerful editing software you can get. Um, But Pascal, it is so, so buggy and and it's not just me and my computer not being strong enough i've done the google search i know that a lot of adobe customers throughout the world lament the performance of this program <laughs> it crashes frequently sometimes the files become corrupt it really you know so there are some days where i'm literally screaming obscenities at the screen because this thing is crashing on me but it's so powerful it's so powerful but recently because I now have access to the full Adobe suite with Photoshop and After Effects and a- a- Adobe Audition, I now have access to this thing called Adobe Premiere Rush, which is like a, as, you, as it sound, as its name suggests, is a cut down version of Adobe Premiere Pro, and actually, it's probably good enough, at least for those marketing made simple videos, which are quite linear. I don't have to. B-roll to those or, or mix and match shots. So I've just discovered recently that I can do the first edit using Adobe Premiere Rush really quickly, and I'm not getting constant crashing and constant corruption. And the great thing about Adobe Premiere Rush is it saves it in the cloud. Well, you can do that with Premiere Pro as well, but you can actually access the file on any mobile device and any desktop device. So, for example, the other day uh, I was out in the garden, beautiful day, and the the birds were playing, were were eating from the bird feeder. So I stuck my GoPro up next to the bird feeder and recorded about half an hour's worth of footage. In a very high frame rate, so I could slow it down to slow motion, and I was sat outside with my um, with my glass of uh, iced water, fizzy water, and I was able to do a quick edit using Adobe Premiere Rush on my iPhone, and then after the sun had gone in, and I went upstairs on the desktop, there was the edit, all ready to go on the desktop. Finished it off, exported it, uploaded it to Twitter and to and to Facebook, and so much easier than all that crashing. So if you've got simple linear videos that you're producing and you just want to be able to edit them quickly, then I would definitely recommend Adobe Premiere Rush. You're going to want to put up with uh, Premiere Pro for the bigger projects. And for that reason, I will implore (laughs) Adobe to please try to fix the stability of this program because it is world-beating but the stability absolutely and utterly sucks. Now, the second thing that I was gonna talk about today is actually very topical and, and is also sort of video related as well, Pascal, and that is Instagram Reels. Yes. Instagram Reels. Now, I remember, again, I recorded a video three years ago saying, look what Instagram have done. They've ripped off Snapchat and they've called it Stories And they've launched this onto the Instagram platform. And, and of course, the the world's got used to that now. And Instagram Stories a staple part of the Instagram experience. But now, of course, they have launched this thing called Instagram Reels, which is a blatant, utter, unashamed ripoff of TikTok. Now, I know there's a great big amount of controversy, especially in the States, as to whether TikTok is some, you know, uh, in cl- clandestine spying program being used by the chinese to suck the data out of the american uh, public uh, wh- whether that's true or not and i'm not not going to get into that debate there is obviously a lot of controversy about tiktok and it might disappear if president trump signs his executive order so obviously instagram have piled in with this reels and, and honestly, Pascal, I don't know whether you've seen the interface, but it is an absolute clone of TikTok. The, the, even, the, even down to the icons, it just looks the same. And, and it's the same idea. You, you create a video that's 15 seconds long. You can add music onto it. You can lip sync. You can add stickers and all of that sort of thing. And I'm just thinking, oh, for goodness sake, when are Instagram going to have an original idea? But actually, that's not the point. That's not the point. I just wonder, and maybe you can come back on this, are we getting to the stage where all these social media platforms, Facebook, um, Instagram, or, or, albeit they're owned by Facebook, are all trying to do everything? You know, we're, we're hearing about LinkedIn stories coming along. Are all these platforms becoming the same offering all the same functionality or should they actually stick to what they originally intended to do and with Instagram that was a platform for sharing fabulous photos you know I can really it's only Twitter that has decided to stick with effectively with a few variations what it originally set out to do now I actually quite like the concept of reels but it was TikTok that invented that, or musically, as it was originally. So I just don't know, where, where do we draw the line at this blatant copying?
1: Do you know, I I listen to you and think that it's almost breaking every single rule of marketing and for a differentiation. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, you're absolutely right. You have a product, it has a brand, it has an expression of the brand through the logos and through the color schemes and so on, through the business values. And you offer something that is unique to you, but if eventually you copy all the features and give them a, a fancy name every single time, then how do you, as a customer, choose which one to go for? And more importantly, how do you, as a marketer, you know, choose which one to go for? And for me, it's back to this idea of, you know, TikTok is um, doing his thing, and that's attracting. Its audience has built its audience through essentially the form of expression through visual and and audio content, which was very unique to to the platform. And I don't think it was being missed from the Instagram experience. You know, I I mean, nobody kind of sat down and think, you know what, would be much better on Instagram if they could do something like TikTok. So I think this is a spoiler. And I'm going to take you back to my younger days, as I mentioned a moment ago, of the print industry. I knew many magazine publishers, ma- magazine editors, who on purpose would be releasing something that was a copy of the competitor to spoil the market so that this new magazine or this kind of, um, you know, perhaps smaller production company would eventually die. So I think that what Facebook are guilty of is spoiling, which is that they thought TikTok is doing rather well. We're not keen because we like to be the number one platform in, our, in the world. So let's do something like Instagram Reels that we're probably gonna kill within a year. Um, Instagram, sorry, uh, Facebook this year has released something like five platforms, five you know, different solutions. And of those five, only two are left. And we're only in August you know, this year. So I'm a big fan of social media marketing as a uh, strategy, as an approach to build brands and so on and so forth. But I have to tell you, I think that if uh, my kind of assessment is correct, which is about Facebook using its wealth and its might to spoil someone else's entry into, into the market, I'm not impressed.
0: No, and I think that the whole point of TikTok is that it was a it was a safe place for that target audience you know they they were free to express themselves probably away from their parents away from older people and mainly away from marketers because i know that advertising works uh, in a different way on on tiktok so they're not going to suddenly flood across and start using reels instead they're going to stay subject to Donald Trump, of course, they're going to stay on TikTok. Although I did read that um, Facebook have offered certain TikTok influences substantial amounts of money to effectively jump ship and come and try out reels. But you're, ab- you're absolutely right, Pascal. It'll be interesting to see in a couple of years' time and look back at what people made of Instagram Reels, in the same way as we're now looking back at what Instagram have done with stories. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm happy to um, make a prediction that within a year it will not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for me, it was just a tactic to spoil the market. And just before we move on to our next segment, can I just say it's a delight to see you smiling when talking <laughs> about editing using Adobe Premiere Rush. Out of interest, for me, that's always the acid test when I, so like you, I've, I've gone the other way, which is, you know, I used to use Pro Solutions and to have my customers. I've gone, uh, on the kind of quest for uh, knowledge and truth about simpler ways of editing video. And uh, so I'm glad to you mentioned that one, but uh, with uh, Adobe Premiere Rush, for me, the one thing that is non-negotiable is to be able to do overlays. Mm. Can you do that with Adobe uh, mm. Premiere Rush or not?
0: Yes, you can. So here we you go, can. i mean, I'm sold. Effectively, the timelines can be the same. You can ha- you can stack them on top of each yeah. other. It's just that the focus is, is much more on simplicity. So you have to go looking for that in the menus. But it, it it is there. It is there. Smashing. Great. That was a really good session. We don't normally go into as much depth and discussion around the marketing tech. But I think this week, Reel's deserved a little bit of attention. So let's move on to This Week in History. Welcome to This Week in History, where Pascal and I delve into the archives to see what was happening in the world of marketing back in the past. So Pascal, you can kick off this week. Well, thank you. So I'll start with
1: in 1877, Thomas Edison made his first major invention the phonograph the famous device that would record sound on tin foil cylinders
0: in 1858 after four failed attempts the first successful transatlantic telegraph cable is completed, but it is only operational for just over a month until its permanent replacement in 1866. Mm.
1: In 1935, Roger, the first Penguin book is published, starting a paperback revolution. The book at the time cost sixpence and were colour-coded. Orange for fiction, blue for biography and green for crime.
0: I love this next one. In 1973, American Graffiti, directed by George Lucas and starring Harrison Ford, Richard Dreyfuss and Ron Howard, opens in all cinemas across the United States. And that was pivotal, wasn't it? George Lucas, Harrison Ford. Just look where that led.
1: Another big event for you, Roger. In 1981... MTV makes TV history when the first 24-hour music channel is launched. Its first video was, interestingly, Video Killed the Radio Star by Boggles.
0: Ooh-ah, ooh <laughs> we can't rewind, we've gone too far. In 1982, the world's first commercial music compact disc, CD, is manufactured and pressed by G- in Germany by Polygram Records. The album was The Visitors by ABBA. Well, I didn't know that. In
1: 1991, Roger, astronauts aboard the Space Shuttle Atlantis used the Apple Mac Tosh portable computer to send the first email from space.
0: Fantastic. In 1995, Microsoft introduces Internet Explorer, a modified version of Spyglass Mosaic. When Microsoft began including Internet Explorer for free, Spyglass sued them for not paying the proper royalties. And do you know what? Microsoft settled for eight million dollars. So you know, nowadays, it's such a small
1: amount as well. <laughs> you know, eight such a small amount, you know, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of surprise. I mean, stuff that I didn't know. Um, goodness. MTV 1981. I remember when we went in France, we were so jealous because we didn't have it. I mean, it took like forever for MTV to appear on French channels. In fact, I think instead they went ahead with their own channel called M6, as in number six. <laughs> and uh, there was a um, it was, there was kind of French uh, law where 50%, 50% of the videos had to be from French artists and the, the rest from international artists. And that's been kind of always there within French culture
0: and uh, media. Do you know, that song, A Video Killed a Radio Star, again, it's one of those things that it's it's just become part of history. I can actually remember uh, when I I used to have a a, a radio alarm in my bedroom set to go off when I was going to school, and I remember hearing that song for the first time. It must have literally come on after 7am in the morning when my alarm went off, and I heard that such a catchy chorus line and I actually said to my dad this is the best single I've ever heard Um, and I at that point in my life I used to be listening to heavy metal and that sort of thing and I actually went out and bought the album it was called The Age of Plastic and to be perfectly honest that album was quite futuristic in the same way as the video killed the radio star the single was and and it still stands up remarkably well today. You can find it on Spotify. Um, It's got uh, 10 tracks on it, and all of them are as good as Video Killed the Radio Star, but of course Video Killed the Radio Star is the one that everybody always remembers. Yeah, and you know, those lines, in in their own ways,
1: were almost still relevant today about Mm. progress of the future and how people, you know, consume content. But for me, the one that somehow I'm perplexed about, which is the very first one I mentioned, Thomas Edison, 1877, mm-hmm. uh, the phonograph, which you could argue maybe allowed the CDs to be to be manufactured by uh, that company in Germany and so on and so forth. But recording sound on tin foil cylinders, <laughs> I have to say, Roger, I don't understand that. I almost understand the CD better. I can almost understand how they can send an email from space. I don't understand
0: how you can record sound on tin foil cylinders. It's like black magic. Yeah, but of course, the thing thing is, with the CD, you've got to be careful not to scratch it. With a record, uh, you know, an old LP, you've got to be careful not to scratch it. Uh, but with a piece of tinfoil, my goodness, how would you avoid just crinkling it up? It's it's
1: just, uh, I just uh, don't understand the the physics of it. How does yeah. sound go from, you know, from your voice to the tinfoil cylinders that can be replayed? I, I'm just... Uh, I'm just, uh, I don't know how it works. And good good for Thomas Edison because without him, we perhaps wouldn't be where we are today. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention to you was this uh, I remember the astronauts sending the email from space in 1991. But uh-huh. the reason I remember it is because actually they were mocked for the content of that email. Right. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but people were saying, hang on a minute, you know, you're the astronauts, you've been trained for this. You go to, uh, into space, you've got it's probably one of the most powerful Apple Macintosh portable computer." And the email you sent is this, and the, the, the reason why they were cr- criticised and, and I would say mocked is because they signed with the following sentence, I remember it to this day, because in 1991 there was a famous film that came out, and they signed saying, "Asa la vista baby, will be back. <laughs> <laughs> that this this so there was a bit of a, you know obviously of an email, but the, the last line was Asa La Vista baby will be back. And honestly the media just tore them to shreds saying, Is that it? Is that the best you can come up with? And of course, because in '91, Terminator 2 had been released. Yeah, of course.
0: Now ugh, I, I feel I was it was fine. They were tapping into popular <laughs> culture and Terminator, one of the biggest films of the time. Why would you not draw attention to yourself by using a line from that film and and those guys in the shuttle were effectively content creators weren't they so I think it's a good a good point to move on to our content creator shout out section it's the creator's shout outs section of the show this is where Pascal and I Give a shout out to people mainly from within our network, but sometimes from outside our network, and we highlight some of the content that they're putting out into the digital landscape. So, Pascal, let's hear from let's hear what you've got for us this week.
1: So, Roger, you're going to be very happy because I'm going to be celebrating simplicity with Ah. my two uh, selection in terms of my two um, creators, two ladies who published one well, of the most simple bit of content on LinkedIn, but the most powerful content that week as well. I'm almost mm. kind of celebrating low complexity and high impact, if you will. So yeah. the first lady I'd like to give a shout-out to is Priscilla Morris. Now, Priscilla Morris is the um, managing director of a company called Loud and Clear Voice Coaching, which I think says it all. Uh, she's been working with um, voice as an integral part of your marketing as per as line for a very long time now. She has been in the arts and drama for a very long time, but certainly been working now for 20 years as a consultant to those who want to build a brand reputation using voice. And she published a LinkedIn video. It was a one, called the one-shot wonders. Not to be, uh, belittle them, I actually think this is amazing. In one shot, she delivers a message, and the title is "Mask your face, not your voice." And mm-hmm. as a voice coach, she's giving you advice on how to actually still be uh, understood and audible whilst talking wearing a mask. So perfect timing. The kind of advice we should see more of uh, on social media. No disrespect to the big brands, but add on in more tips on how to get more followers on. Instagram. Instagram, I need people like Priscilla to actually give me that practical advice. So I won't spot it for you, Roger. Uh, Watch it. And for our viewers and listeners, do watch the video. She does a before and after. So she uses the mask where she speaks normally, you could argue. Then she uses techniques that she's obviously uh, learned over the years and she imparts with her clients. And the difference is incredible. You could be forgiven to think she's not wearing a mask when she's talking. So Priscilla Morris from the Loud Cloud and Clan Voice Coaching. Thank you again for that great bit of content. Next, I've got Michelle MacArthur-Morgan. How's that for an SEO name? So, Michelle MacArthur-Morgan has been working and is the owner of Jigsaw at Work. She's passionate about team performance, um, organizational productivity, and that kind of mindset that helps people be the best they can be. And again, a one-shot wonder on LinkedIn, Roger, where she talks about how a pad of post-it notes could help you manage stress. And and again, I hope you don't mind, but no spoilers, watch it. She has a wonderful delivery, very calm, very collected about how you can essentially, again, change your mindset by using post-its to learn how to tap into what you can control and let go what you cannot control. And, and it's great. So, again, for both Priscilla Morris and Michelle MacArthur Morgan, I celebrate simplicity, low complexity behind packed with their content.
0: I want to continue your simplicity angle right. there, Pascal. I'm going to shout out Seth Godin this week. Now, again, I'm going to caveat that by saying, normally we focus on people in our network. Seth is definitely not in my network as much as I would love him to be. But he is such a concise communicator. He has a blog, and this, this is the one that caught my attention this week. And the heading is, what will you do with the time you save? And I'm actually going to read you the blog because it's so short. Ordering instead of cooking. Working from home instead of commuting. Using a dishwasher instead of the sink. All that time saved. Now that you've got the time back, you get to choose what's truly important to you. How will you spend it? And then in brackets, time spent on TV and social media has gone up every year in my lifetime. And that's it. That's the blog. It's almost the length of a tweet. Mm. And I think the the great thing about Seth's blog is you can consume it literally within seconds, but it's always a very profound a very profound message that he's trying to put across. And, and and a challenge to the people who are watching and listening to Geeks in the Marketing Podcast today, the next time you've got a message to communicate, try to take a leaf out of Seth's book. Try to put your message across in the length of a tweet, no more than 240 characters. Or or let let's let's be really ambitious and go to when it was 120 characters. If you can put your message across that succinctly. Then you're going to engage your customers, and, and you know they're going to really love you for that simplicity of message. The second is definitely from within our networks, and I want to shout out a gentleman that I've known for a number of years. He was originally Pascal, a financial advisor, uh, a guy called Russ Howarth, and he started something called the Fam Biz Podcast, the Family Business Podcast, and. It started as a side hustle for him, he continued to be a financial advisor, but he was looking at helping companies that were effectively family businesses, who not only have to be successful in business and have launch plans and growth plans and marketing plans, but also have to contend with you know the extra stresses sometimes of working with your partner, working with your relatives, working with spouses, whatever it might be, and that, that brings a whole extra dimension of stress and 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 russ has put this podcast together and it's become so successful that he's now being asked to speak at conferences about family businesses and he's recently stopped being a financial advisor to focus on this niche, if you like, this niche, and he's become a consultant around family businesses. And I just love that as an example of somebody who started a podcast almost as a as a hobby, and it has now become a major focus. So well done, Russ. It's a great podcast. Um, there's a lot to binge on if you want to go back and listen to some of the old stuff. So it's really, really well worth having a listen to, especially, obviously, if you're running a business and you're in partnership with relatives, spouses, Etc. cetera, et cetera. These, Roger, fine selections. I really
1: like, you know, both of them, this idea of, again of the power of the short form, which is something that I find challenging as someone that I usually do long form even when I do video. But I, I do know that people say, you know, if you can really do, say it in a, in a few words, do so. And I think back to this idea of finding a specific audience with a specific challenge, I think that's excellent. And, and more importantly, the perseverance and patience, which I find is a trait with many podcasters and content creators, you know, keep going, even though at the beginning, you don't, you're not getting much reaction and feedback um, because eventually there's a breakthrough. I'm sure he's the first one to be surprised, presently surprised
0: about you know, his invitation to speak on stage and the likes. Absolutely. Keep it simple, keep them engaged, and they will eventually flock to your door. Pascal, we're approaching my favorite part of the show, and that is the film marketing section. It's the film marketing part of the show where we delve into a famous film from the past or an upcoming film that's just about to be launched, and we, we talk about not only the film itself, but more importantly, we focus in on how that film was marketed or is being marketed. And it's it's what are the lessons that we can draw from how that film was marketed. And how we can use those lessons in our own marketing for our own businesses and this week we're going to talk about True Romance which is obviously a film from a number of years ago 1995 I think it was launched and it's a Quentin Tarantino authored film not directed by Quentin Tarantino but written and as you would expect with Quentin Tarantino the dialogue in this film is incredible uh again pascal i watched this film with my wife a couple of weeks back now and there can't be a line in the film that doesn't advance the plot <laughs> or doesn't add to the the characterization of the people within there and 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 marketers can learn so much just from analyzing the the writing style of Twent- quentin tarantino now i know it's not for everybody there's a lot of profanity in it but you have got to marvel Uh, the simple way he advances the plot using dialogue and also how he always weaves pop cultural references into the dialogue whether it's burgers whether it's setting scenes in six flags magic mountain theme park in in los angeles it's instantly recognizable and those instantly recognizable dialogue memes and Places and locations just suck the audience in, and the plot is incredibly good as well. So even before we get to talking about the actual marketing of the film back in you know 25 years ago, it's still remarkable how much you can learn just by analysing the way Tarantino wrote this.
1: Do you know, and, uh, you're making me a very, very happy co-host <laughs> by choosing True Romance. Honestly, what what a choice. Because, of course, we take turns in terms of which film we're going to be talking about. Interesting that you mentioned 1995 as your mm. memory for the film because that's when the movie peaked as a uh, video rental. So that's kind of interesting. that, that It was that,
0: 1993 it came out, yeah, of yeah. yeah. But,
1: of course, yeah. um, I may remind you, I, I think it's fascinating because in 1993 the movie was released and was deemed to be a failure at the box office. Now, what does Mm -hmm. that mean? It meant that essentially just broke even. So I think the budget at the time was about $13 million, which of course is nothing compared Mm -hmm. to what people spend nowadays. And didn't quite find its audience. I think, in fairness, the distributors were nervous about the film, didn't know what to make of it. And in '94, were then released in the US as a VHS rental because that was where the days, and became one of the top ten rentals of '94. Then then came across Europe. Now, at the time, Roger, I was working in a video rental store to pay my rent and uh, my food, you know, when I was studying at university. And I have to tell you, that video was out all the time. Mm. Um, What was interesting, back in the days of video rental, I used to work, I think, every other evening and then all weekends. So I would do... I would promise myself that if I'd been a good boy and studied or did the essay, then I could watch a film. You know, usually things were getting quieter in the evening. And that true romance, I must have worn the cassette by watching it so many Times in, in, in the store.
0: And, of course, it came out in a year, and I, I apologies for getting the year wrong, but 1993. There was a, a load of other films out that year, wasn't there?
1: I mean, t- two things that didn't help the film. To begin with, it was really what I called an auteur film, Scott. So you mentioned mm-hmm. the um, script by Tarantino, um, which actually started as a, a short story by his pal, Roger Avery, but mm-hmm. then Tony Scott bring, brought that visual. Uh, expression, the choice of colours, the choice of framing, some of the, the scenes are, are visually very memorable as well as uh, mm. the dialogue being memorable but it was released as well in September after the summer blockbusters so it's not yeah. great um, You know, because normally you have that, bit, you've got the summer blockbusters and then you've got the Christmas holidays blockbuster but that year in '93, let me remind you, and I, I'm almost kind of picturing myself in that video store again Roger, yeah. on the shelf was Jurassic Park Mrs. That Fire, The Fugitive, Schindler's List was out, The Firm, Indecent Proposal, One of My Guilty Pleasures, Demolition Man, (laughs) Philadelphia, and actually I loved it at the time, Tombstone. Remember Tombstone? (laughs) So you had all that going on in 93. Then you released a movie during a potentially bad month. Uh, No surprise there. But like I said, top 10 video rental
0: in 94 and 95. Again, I think you said it earlier in the podcast, when you're putting together content, you know, and we said today that we are media companies now, as marketers, we are media companies, you're in it for the long game sometimes. And True Romance is a perfect example of the need for tenacity. You know, it, it became a cult classic and you know you might be a little bit disheartened if in the early days of your podcast or the early days of your vlog you're not getting the views that you deserve but the the bottom line is if the content is good if the content is good it will eventually gain traction. For
1: me Roger you're right the lesson is of course it would have been delightful for the producers and and the um, you know everybody behind the movie to do well at the box office the kind of premium channel distribution but it didn't happen. But what they did superbly well against all the big titles is the secondary channel of choice, if you could argue. So you're right, maybe somebody's put together an amazing video and they wanted it to do well on YouTube. Of course she would. And maybe actually your audience is on LinkedIn and vice versa. You write this amazing um, blog post and you want it to do well on LinkedIn. In fact, you find the audience on Twitter. And I think it's about, this channeling channel marketing you know the find find the way and sometimes yes you want the um, approval from your peers because you've done well on the big screen or on youtube yes you want obviously to be able to have the accolade uh, because you know you've done well through what is deemed to be the tried and tested channels but sometimes there will be secondary and tertiary channels of distribution that will actually give you the success you deserve
0: absolutely right absolutely right and and it's those memories that these this film has created as well. I think, you know, we, we've talked about advertising straplines on the show before, and, and some of those famous advertising straplines that people will never forget, like Domestos kills all-known germs dead, or um, Formash gets smash." Those adverts have become legends. And this is one of those films to me where you can, qu- you, I can quote whole scenes verbatim, because I've watched it not... Hundreds of times, but enough that those particular speeches, those particular phrases have lodged themselves in my memory. And, and there are, of, of course, loads of films, Star Wars, whatever it might be, that have sections of dialogue that stay in the mind. But this particular one, you know, as I said, pretty much every line is quotable.
1: That's what was happening in the store where I was working. Yeah. Customers would be in a corner talking because that was one of the, the lovely part of uh, being in the store. People would come in and talk to each other about the films. I suppose now they do it via the internet. But um, yeah. so you had the corner. People talking and laughing about romance and quoting scenes back to each other. Yeah. Um, whether it's yeah. Patricia Arquette or Kristen Slater or Gary Oldman, Val Kilmer, Brad Pitt. I think the Brad Pitt character <laughs> uh, left many people laughing. Christopher Walker, you know, against obviously. Um, Oh, goodness, Dennis Hopper. So there was so much going on there. But back to your point about the lasting impact and impression, I discovered, suddenly that in the, in the U.S., they have a regular True Romance Festival. Wow. Uh, the last one was uh, in 2018, by the 25th anniversary of the movie release, um, back in thousand nine hundred and ninety three there is still a official true Romance Facebook page that fans can keep uploading their own artwork and uh, posing next to the hotels or through the pink Cadillac and, and that kind of thing <laughs> and And For me, certainly, I was the very proud owner of the um, you know special edition DVD released ten years later in two thousand and three and i 'm wondering whether in two thousand and twenty three which will be there for thirty years after yeah. the movie release we 're going to have something very special. Um, in one of the True Romance festival, I'm told that Kristen Slater and Patricia Arquette actually did a live reading of some of the dialogues to oh, the fans wow. whilst in, in, in the screening room. So, uh, yeah,
0: fabulous memories, Pascal. <laughs> fabulous memories. So, I think I think the lessons from True Romance are the, simp- the 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 dialogue. So take the dialogue to be the copy that you use in your marketing. You know, every word matters. Does every word move the customer along? I just think that this is a, a, just an absolute masterclass, an absolute masterclass. So it's been an absolute pleasure talking about true romance and the danger is we could probably carry on talking about it for the rest of the morning. I'd certainly like to dissect some of those scenes that have stuck in the memory, but I don't think we have time. We have come to the end of the show. So Pascal, thanks as always for sharing your expertise and wisdom and knowledge with me great news items, great content, always a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks for everybody for watching and listening to Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Please do subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts and videos. Leave comments and suggestions for us as well in the usual places. But until next time, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal from